0: we are welcome back to under the radar a rolling stones podcast about deep cuts and hot cookies once again i'm tim lindsey
1: and i'm christian bonner
0: so last you heard from us if you've been following our facebook page we uh, posted a little unboxing video for the no security uh from the vault live in san jose 99 blu-ray which uh we've been looking at for the past couple of weeks and uh we're ready to talk to you about it now in full.
1: yeah so i have to uh give everyone a warning here that there is absolutely um no way that i'm going to be objective about this because Mm -hmm. the no security tour was the first tour that um i saw them on and um you know i i got a bootleg of my show uh you know i'd love to hear them mix this but this is the closest I'm ever going yeah, to get yeah. to that. And um, so obviously I love it. I love every minute of it. I think this is a great presentation. I think this has everything that's um, kind of stripped down about the older arena tours, but everyone's in tune. Uh, yeah. No one's on heroin and uh, they have the the backing band. The band is about the same size, mm-hmm. um, but I'll take, you know, we don't need Ollie Brown as much as we need uh, say the backup singers. Sure. And what I like about it is that, you know, the horns and the backup singers aren't necessarily on every track. They're very selective about that. Um, so I'm just going to be here to tell you that this is fantastic (laughs) and maybe Tim has bad things to say about it, but I, I don't,
0: well, we can go like track by track and just talk about notable things. I think what's great about this is that, um, we initially thought that there was going to be no, uh, North American release with the blu-ray and the CDs, but it turns out there is, um, So that's the version I would recommend everybody get, because even though this was shot in standard definition in the nineties, the blu-ray just looks excellent. Like the colors are crisp. The, you know, the editing is like very nicely, tastefully done.
1: Yes. So our, our theory is that this was supposed to be a Mm pay-per-view that was canceled. Yeah. Um, for some reason,
0: nobody's really sure why, uh, Mick was, like laid up and sick and they had to cancel the initial shows that were scheduled in San Jose. And these are makeup shows, only one of which forms the core of the Blu-ray. And then on the Japanese CDs that we got, uh, there's also the bonus tracks uh, from the other show. But um, I actually think that those are kind of inessential. Um, I don't know what you thought about them, Christian. But I
1: actually haven't had a chance. Uh, they did Moonlight Mile in my show, so yeah. I'm not particular. And I've, I've said it a million times. I, I think Moonlight Mile is kind of overrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's been a million nice live versions of Gimme Shelter. I, yeah. I, I, I will get to them eventually. Um...
0: I just kind of feel like if those two tracks are the ones they lifted from the other show, then there must have been something drastically wrong in Keith's set, which is the two Bridges to Babylon songs we don't get here.
1: Yeah, that's probably the only... This this Keith set is identical to the one that I got with the exception of the false start. Uh, and I do prefer this version of uh, You Got the Silver. Mm-hmm. I like Keith being a little more active and I like him playing slide. Yeah. And I like this arrangement of Before They Make You Run quite a bit.
0: There's a, a really good sort of blend between Ronnie and Keith on this tour. I don't think either one of them are too dominant. If you look back to say the '80s shows, there's a lot of times where Keith is really dominating the proceedings, and
1: then wicks it onward, it's it's much more it tends to be
0: tilted more Ronnie. Here, they're really in. Balanced nicely, and there's a lot of cool weaving going on. And
1: again, I've said this a million times. I'm not trying to be objective or change anybody's mind, but for me, the period between '89 and '99—that's um, one of the many reasons why I, I like it the best. They seem, for one thing, I used to remember thinking that they looked really old at the time, and now I think, oh, they look so young. They're only 55. Yeah, um, that's a comment
0: I've heard quite a lot from people. I've I've shown this to a few people who've never seen. As well, I've seen much less Stones concerts than you and I have. And the comment that I get from them now is, uh, oh, well, this must be from when they were like in their 40s, right? Yeah, no, they're in their mid-50s here.
1: What I always find funny is look at, look at Steven Tyler mm-hmm. next to Mick Jagger and you go, oh, wow. You know, yeah. like, or ACDC, they all looked
0: just, yeah completely with ruined
1: <laughs> and i assume the most of that is smoking
0: yeah for um
1: sure. so to get through the tracks i mean this jumping jack flash is one of the best i've heard in a re- and you know obviously okay the stones do jumping jack flash pretty good like you know sometimes <laughs> it can be a bit tepid i definitely like it opening the show again yeah so much of my my uh, expectations of what the Stones are and how they their music should be presented comes from this being my first concert mm-hmm. ever, you know, and this particular
0: stage presentation. And but yeah.
1: when I think about it, it's like having it in the arena and opening with Jumping Jack Flash again and doing Midnight Ramble. It's like, mm-hmm. what is this calling back to? It's get your yayas out. Yeah. But to me, these have the these shows. This arena tour has the. Tighter, uh, more focused, less razzmatazz, and I'm all for razzmatazz. I love the Babylon set. I love the big nod obelisk that shoots fire from mm-hmm. the Voodoo Lounge tour. I'm all for that. But this is so much more of a leaner presentation, and I really like on this mix um, how much you can hear Chuck.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of uh, good separation between the instruments here. I kind of, I do quibble a little bit with how Sam Wheat, as opposed to Bob Clearmountain, who's mixed the previous from the vault shows um, how he tends to automate the guitars a lot less. So it kind of stays at one level rather than riding up and down the way Clear Mountain chooses to do it. Same with the vocal, I think a lot. Um, I noticed during bitch that Keith and Mick aren't quite at a copacetic level. They just sort of stay in their corner, which is fine. It's a an aesthetic choice.
1: I definitely found that issues to be much more in the surround mix than in the stereo one. Yeah. Um, We had a
0: chance to play the 5.1, uh, while we were watching the video at, at my workplace and, uh, it sounded good. It was certainly great to have the isolated kick and snare. Charlie's kit sounded great. Daryl sounded great but there's something about the way the guitars are spread out in the 5.1 that isn't terribly it's satisfying. Not as,
1: it's, not as, uh, it's not as crisp. I love Bob Clear Mountain and I spend I spend way too much time trying to copy his mixes, but I really like the way uh, Mr. Wheat mm-hmm. has done this. The uh, horn section sounds great. The horn sound no great. What I like it is that there's it, the guitars don't come at the expense of the backing vocals, keys, or horns. But if you're angry about hearing Chuck Lavelle you have problems. You need yeah, I to think seek he's,
0: help. He's doing a great job in this. There's a lot of mugging for the camera on his part in this show. Yes. Which kind of tends to go over the top a couple of times, but I, I have no problem with what he's playing. Um, in painted black, he's doing a weird thing with the synth cut, like cut following the guitar, like, which I don't think he did on subsequent tours. This
1: arrangement of painted black is very unique, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, this German Jack flash is very tight i really like the organ part now in i think that bitch in the modern years can tend to get um, a bit too flabby and um not as focused one thing i do like about ladies and gents is that extremely kind of monomaniacal presentation of bitch but i like this one a lot i and even though like uh, someone else was saying he got the verses out of order. I, I don't care. Yeah, I mean, no. this is live music here. To me, it's the, the, the triumph of the Stones or of any really good live band is that it's like, it's the energy and it's the feeling. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, as much as I prefer, I will say, I prefer Live With Me in that slot for this era of set list. That's a great one, two punch. Live With Me is a great second song yeah. for them to do because it's like you open a hundred, then you can go to 110. Yeah. And then you can bring it back down.
0: I will say it's weird not hearing Bernard on the first two tracks. For whatever reason, on this particular leg of the tour or these shows, the indoor shows, they wouldn't have Bernard come out until Lisa and Blondie all came out. They're on, they're on German Jack Flash, though. But it's mixed so low, like that's again a thing that I have a quibble with the mix. One is the thing, backing vocal levels. One thing
1: that's cool about this, uh, you can actually see Chuck's set list, and it mm-hmm. says when the horns come out and when yeah. the backing vocals, and it also has BPMs. The funniest thing for me is that some of them are just labeled KR, yeah, meaning you're
0: gonna go off whatever keys you play that day. You let
1: him do, yeah, you let him do his own thing. Um, what comes after?
0: Uh, then we got "You Got Me Rockin'" where Lisa and Blondie come out and, and it takes off. Anyway, right,
1: we are we are no no attempted objectivity here. <laughs> we are big fans of "You Got Me Rockin'." I'm a
0: big fan of Lisa Fisher on "You Got Me Rockin'." I am a
1: big fan of Lisa Fisher anywhere, yeah, <laughs> uh, anytime, any place. Obviously, I love the '90s. Uh, but, uh, I want to see Lisa on future tours. Yeah. No disrespect to Sasha Allen, but, uh, uh, I'm a big fan of Lisa Fisher. Uh, the only thing I would have to say is that, uh, Keith's solo is a little noodly. Mm. Uh, it's not as focused as other ones I've heard, but that's a minor. Yeah. Well, on the great. other hand,
0: Woody's solo yeah, is Woody's like great.
1: one of the best I've ever heard there.
0: And the groove underneath it is amazing. Keith's, uh, bite on the riff, the way he plays the on this era is wonderful. Um, same with respectable. I feel like the and respectable. it's very tight. This is the cool best. Approach. I have
1: not heard a version. I, when I obviously, again, so I heard this and I heard respectable and I said, Oh, Mick plays guitar. What do you know? And, uh, I really liked, this version of respectable and i was frankly quite disappointed by hearing the studio version by comparison mm-hmm. and then when they brought it back um on the licks tour i was never re- it was it's just kind of flappy and mm-hmm. flabby and all over doesn't it, quite have the same
0: bite and attack the that version which is
1: on the no security album i would say is um one of the best sure. recordings i think this one in san jose is a little bit better <laughs> So, on this DVD, you can see Keith is crouching uh, near the drums, but at my show, he walked up like as though he were pointing, at, aiming it right at me, mm. and leaned into that begin that intro, and I was just like, well, I think I want to do this. Yeah. You know, uh, like honestly, he was about 14 feet away. Right. I mean, at least that's how it is in, in the way that I r- remember it, so... Um, and this one is good. I really like this one. A lot of the hits are very fresh on this one. Yeah. You know, obviously, you play Honky Donkin for 40 years, you're going to get tired of it. One thing I do really like is when he gets to the second chorus he goes over and gets Lisa Mm -hmm. and then they go and they vamp it up for one side of the stage and then they cross and they do it for the other. Right. And she brings that kind of Tina Turner thing. And what I didn't notice until hearing this is that she's very much doing Keith's part from the record. Yeah. Which is nice because they've embellished it. They've done a million things and it's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm all for a change, but that kind of harmony is normally done by a woman. Right. So it's interesting to hear. Like I like, obviously I like the way Keith sings, but, um, I like to hear Lisa do it too. And it's a very good rendition, this one. Very tight. But one thing that I like to see that they used to do was when Keith would do the end of the oh, yeah. piano solo. The very
0: atonal ending of the solo. <laughs> sometimes
1: he does it very bebop. Yeah. <laughs> like, And sometimes he actually does play correctly. Right. Yeah. He's not a bad piano player and he's doing it intentionally to be like, I'm yeah. Jerry Lewis, look at me. Yeah.
0: Polonius um, Monk said there are no wrong notes on There, there are
1: no wrong notes when <laughs> Keith Richards is playing.
0: Um, <laughs> After that, they play "I Got the Blues" here, so I, I don't think this is quite as like exquisite as the Fonda 2015 "I Got the Blues" with the false ending and slightly slower tempo. But it's um, still very good. Yeah, I mean, I and his, Chuck's a little Hammond lick right at the end is is great. You know, there's
1: uh, and this is uh, this is uh, definitely an attempt at the Burt Burns mm-hmm. style of writing. Now sure. I. Mick says it's in the Otis Redding style, and I mean, who am I to argue with him? But to me, it is actually much more of a Solomon Burke, mm. Burt Burns kind of thing. And Solomon Burke does do a fantastic That's right, version, this version of, this of this on the Don Was produced Make Do With What You Got. Right. And uh, it's a really strong. Matt Guitar Murphy is yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah, RIP. Um, yeah, RIP. Um, but yeah, it's a good I got the blues. Mm-hmm.
0: Chuck's Hammond stop on this. Like he obviously he does the original Billy Preston solo like note perfectly. Pretty, pretty much
1: no for note. Yeah. But
0: then his little stop at the end where he trails off on that glissando. It kind of for some reason reminded me of Tie You Up, Pain of Love.
1: Just well, the way he, like, what a wonderful thing to be reminded yeah. of.
0: <laughs> Strange. But
1: I definitely would prefer to hear if I had the choice, I would definitely prefer to hear I got the blues to Moonlight Mile. Yeah, that's, um,
0: it works great in that slot, too. It sort of slows things down after aggressive Heavy groove songs.
1: Yeah, yeah. They're, it's a great opening. I yeah. really like the structure of these set lists for their immensely strong openings.
0: Uh, and then we go into more of a gospel style with the uh, Saint of Me off Bridges to Babylon. So this is, I think, the definitive reading. It's
1: one of the best ones. Yeah. Uh, it's better than the one on No Security. Yeah. Um, and but, I like that one quite a lot. Uh, that but rave
0: up at the end is just tremendous.
1: The extra year, I think, that they had to work on uh, that and playing to the crowd uh, is really wonderful. And mm-hmm. what, I, what I also think is cool about this show is when he says this one's called Saint of Me, the crowd goes... Yeah, they, wild, recognize they it, actually yeah. recognize it, and they it like it. It was a it. current single, right? And it was and would have been on MTV. Again, we're here to push the narrative that the Stones are good and yes. continue to be good, and this uh, idea that nobody cares about anything they've made since. Oh, I don't know pick let it bleed right whatever like people have these weird cutoffs let it bleed is the weirdest one you could pick for me uh tattoo you uh it always moves forward it used to be some girls and Mm -hmm. you know it's becoming it's going getting further and further even undercover is getting love these days people enjoyed the 90s material yeah and the video for say to me is also great the album sold very well it's ridiculous to say this wasn't popular material
0: I don't know if the live screen material on this tour, um, like you don't get to really see much of the big screen overhead on top of the stage, but did they mix in any like pre-recorded stuff on this other than the intro, the yeah, walkout I intro? was
1: actually at such an angle, I uh, had really, really good seats. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see a man going quite berserk yeah. uh, in this DVD who is sitting about where I was. Right. Um, I was on Keith's side, but I actually couldn't really see... The monitor right um and you know that gladiator walk and the 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 w it's very wwe yeah you know which was the where style where they get in the elevator at and the then time. Come, yeah yeah um and you know that was uh that was all stuff i i was unaware of this and again it was my first concert i was 14 mm-hmm. you know first time i smelled weed like everything you know this was so much stimulation right
0: i think what they've done with the guys running around with the cameras on stage is they're getting a lot of close-up shots um, to put up on that screen, but we're also getting treated to those here. So when, you know, Blondie and Lisa and Bernard are goofing around with the rest of the band, you really get to see a lot of that sort of interaction in this, which is great. And, uh, Lisa and Bernard grab their microphones and come to center stage. Cause everybody right? was
1: wireless yeah. and there's a great deal more. I've always liked treating them like they're part of the band, mm. uh, rather than stay in your, yeah. in your place here.
0: Yeah. And like I said, I only really quibble with the mix when I don't hear enough of them. Like I really do want to hear Blondie's voice on this song and you know, on the No Security album, he's almost like the lead singer during the chorus. So it's it's a bit of a different approach here. You can certainly hear all the tambourine and other percussion that he's doing. So I don't know, maybe just something about the way it's panned over to the left makes it less prominent. Um, So next on the set list is Some Girls. Uh, Chuck counts this in at album tempo, which is this crazy slow halftime. Um, but it's great. Like Ronnie's lick in that break. If, if you
1: ever felt that you did not get enough of that lick when they played this song live, this yeah. is the version for you. Cause yeah. he just, he just gives it to you. Yeah. And, uh, it's
0: perfect. All the pull ons and offs are so great.
1: Obviously this is not the most politically correct song anymore. Yeah. they uh,
0: they he rearranged the words slightly. I think in later tours, like Shine a light, he skips the, the, getting all night well he yeah he
1: changed it for this tour because this was the first time they ever played it live
0: yeah and that's all the words in he just like swapped well, white girls for he, black girls he, yeah
1: because jesse jackson rejected <laughs> right. and fair enough uh it is a very what i realized watching it again is that i was wondering if this came back because of dr dre maybe because it's kind of a very hip-hop attitude
0: it's basically two chords like that kind of mm, ta Mm-hmm. That's yeah, the and
1: weed. it's very like it's not even really a song. No, like, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean it's it's a groove and a rant, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, With you that know, weird bridge. The I mean, Bob give Dylan slag, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. for Zuma anyone, Beach or... yeah, anyone doesn't know, it was this sort of house that Bob Dylan and his wife at the time were uh, had bought and were constantly renovating, and it was one of those things where it's like, oh, we'll move in when it's ready. Yeah. And then it was never ready because it's like,
0: oh, we should redo the kitchen. Yeah. And And by uh, the time it was done, they split up and they had to. (laughs) Yeah, because he
1: would like bring his mistress down to breakfast with the kids because Mick was working on uh, he was present during the making of Blood on the tracks and nearly played drums on it. So that's That's about concurrent with that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) There's an alternate universe for you. So then we get Paint a Black. Uh, Tim Reese comes over to play additional keyboard on this. Like I mentioned, Chuck is doing the synth lick which he wouldn't do after this but i think he's also playing piano and tim is playing some other electric piano organ pedals or something i don't know
1: um so this was kind of funny because i had my uh this is just a personal reminiscence uh but my guitar teacher lifted this for me in a way because it's in e here not in f and i did not realize until watching this dvd that i that the way that i had been taught to do it and there are many different ways i learned the he also gifted the 89 version and i know the original way and everything but i learned how to play this in e without a capo in a very unusual way um that i've always just assumed was the way it was done here but it is capoed at the second so mm. for any guitar players who are interested um i think lowering the key may help i do like this version i i I, I am disappointed with Keith's inability to play the intro correctly in recent years and I think that if he's not gonna if he can't be bothered, like don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um but around this time they were still pulling it off.
0: Yeah. And it's a good sort of uh track to sort of break the setup with and do the band intros after. So then uh Mick once he does introduce the band, he, he says, We wanna tell you who's singing and playing and blowing and sucking <laughs> which is great. And then Mick like falsetto like mimes thank you thank We're you pretending Elisa's to be yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. very silly um which is great and then there's that weird like intrusion of ground hum which from one which is apparently woody yeah i think uh, i think he's just blamed the nearest available yeah he's <laughs> probably a guitar player though yeah. i
1: not gonna lie uh, they're notorious yeah, for this. Been
0: Blondie, because he plugs in for this number to play uh, acoustic. the acoustic, yeah. Um, but then, yeah, like you said, there's a cool like two slide arrangement here. For you got the silver, um, and I Keith like, throws in an unnecessary f bomb at the end. <laughs> I
1: like to, uh, I like to hear Keith play slide. Yeah, I like that he was sitting. Uh, there was a weird. So one thing that's different at my show. And this is just turning into Grandpa Simpson, I know, but like, there's no way that I was not going to do this. At my show, uh, because it was the first time the Stones played at the Air Canada Center, it was the first big concert at the Air Canada Center, mm-hmm. and it was front page news the next day. The biggest thing I remember is that right as Jemming Jack Flash started, in the kind of groove, the pit kind mm-hmm. of thing beneath, between the stage and the barricades, all these photographers were in there mm-hmm. and this was the last, this was actually the last tour before every single person on the planet had a camera in their pocket. Mm-hmm. So there were all these professional photographers and I just saw flash bulbs going off. And for the longest time I couldn't, I wasn't sure if that was like a thing they staged. Right. Cause it helps the intro. It made them look
0: super cool. Right. right. They're yeah. wearing the, they're all coming out with the shades on. And yeah. Everything. And they're looking
1: yeah. like they're trying to dodge paparazzi to, to be, to begin. Uh, but my assumption is now seeing as seeing as it didn't happen there is that those people were actually paparazzo. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, there was another thing that they, they used to have professional photographers and they gave these flyers out at the end of the show being like, Oh, if you want pictures from this, uh, write to us. Mm. And I wrote to them and they gave you one for free. And mine was of Keith sitting down on the stool to play. You got the silver. Nice. And they said, oh, if you want more of these, give us money. And I didn't do that. I didn't have any money.
0: Yeah, you got uh, your first one right off. That's all and you need.
1: <laughs> I would also like to say that this show is filled with some of Keith's most iconic looks mm. to me. Just yeah. the way he dresses, especially his pirate outfit for You mm. Got the Silver.
0: He's got a lot of looks, actually. He's got vest. He's got different tops. Yeah, vest that he puts no on. shirt. Yeah, yeah that's, that's great. It's yeah. a bold one
1: for a fifty-five-year-old <laughs> man to do. <laughs> he has
0: almost as many costume changes as Mick does on this tour. <laughs> yeah,
1: She's yeah. Great. Then before they make me run, it's also really good. Yeah, featuring uh, Leia Wood. Right. and Ron- she
0: sang- She also used to sing on Deep uh, in the Night. Night. Right. She
1: started coming out towards the end of the Bridges to Babylon yeah. tour. And
0: occasionally, you don't have to mean it as well. I think
1: that makes sense too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, I don't know. There's not a lot to say about this. The horn section does sound they, they, great, as we it's thought. Great. It's great. It's a great awesome. version of this yeah. song,
1: is uh, all I can say.
0: Um, out of Control is also excellent, with the very, like, dramatic, kind of moody intro. A lot
1: of blue notes in that solo there. Yeah. Really swinging.
0: Uh, Mick does the entrance on yeah, the, the pneumatic they, lift it's from, the same from the middle of the stage. It's the same
1: from uh, Sympathy for the Devil and the Voodoo Lounge Tour. He just right. came out of nowhere. Yeah. It's not the cage. I don't know where that's from. I've seen footage where he's breaking out of a cage.
0: I think that might have been like the later outdoor shows from this year. And maybe. there's a
1: uh, there's one on one of the DVDs. He's talking to Mark Fisher and it's like, "Oh, I feel like you need something to break out of." He's like, "Oh, it's not the cage again, is it?" Right. Yeah. yeah. Cuz obviously they're that, that that putting the so singer well. yeah. in a confined space yeah it's very spinal tap it it has it well it just presents a lot of yeah somebody's yeah, gonna get trapped in there it's
0: redolent of spinal tap yeah the, yeah the pods but it's
1: still the out of control <laughs> uh is a great song i'm glad Excellent. that they're bringing yeah. it out again and this is a great version of it
0: though so again i think after the intro with with keith singing i think the backing vocals are again are just a little bit too low for my again liking. This. but you know that's again that's personal preference for me uh, then we have the walk out to the B stage. With, to the JBs, the yeah, popcorn. Yeah, Chuck starts vamping along with that on the piano towards the end there. The which is walk bright.
1: is really fun because I like to see Mick just ignore everyone. Yeah. And Keith try to get everyone he yeah, can in Yeah, shake as there. many hands and as possible. And then it's like, Oh hey Chuck, yeah, in there are like nah, like that. <laughs> you don't want Chuck, which is too bad because he's the he's the he's man. man. Obviously, yeah. Uh, he plays then,
0: great on this uh, Route 66. Yeah,
1: this is. A, I love to hear them yeah. do Route 66 like this. It, it takes you all the way back. Yeah. Uh, I remember. So the B stage, obviously, they went away. They were very far away from me at this mm-hmm. point. Um, so I couldn't really see what was happening but this was my favorite segment of the show, irrespective. Yeah. And um, Route 66 was really great uh this get off my cloud is good but i'm not the biggest fan of this song and i much prefer just my imagination yeah, in this yeah that
0: would have been nicer but they didn't play it either of the two nights they recorded here so. because
1: i assume what happened is that they got tired of doing it or whatever yeah. but like they but, really played a lot from some girls on mine on my night right uh and then uh we get to midnight rambler and this is a pretty good one it's I've fiery say, yeah. this is pretty good like uh, it's not
0: explosive, but it's great. I mean... <laughs> How many the, Xs in explosive? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and then you see Mick taking, like, little snapshots with that disposable camera of yeah, the crowd. Yeah, which
1: is so... It's hilarious it's dated it's at so this 90s. point. Yeah, um, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, those are fun, but you never get to see the pictures.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And then they go back... Yeah. For... Tumbling dice. For Tumbling Dice. Yeah. And this Again, is... this is
0: where Chuck starts really goofing off in front of the camera, which is... <laughs> um, this is not...
1: The best tumbling dice ever. That's obviously uh, Olympia ninety-five. Yeah. Uh, write to me if you disagree. <laughs> uh, but, you're but there's wrong. a good
0: ending vamp on this. Yes,
1: I mean the, if you can't, you know, you, you know obviously they, they they do it fine. I yeah. mean, I think at this point in the show, you're really hearing how uh, you know the first show back from being sick. Mm-hmm. Mick is never like you know perfect. Right. Not that he's not that anyone's ever perfect, but um, I th- it's a long show. Yeah. People got to get their money's worth, and at this point, I mean, it doesn't ruin
0: it, but it's not—it's not my favorite tumbling dice, and my show was better. Um, then I think Keith and Ronnie look like they're trying to intentionally screw each other up in the intro to "It's Only Rock and Roll." <laughs> I yeah, know what happens there, don't but they really almost get, train wreck
1: it. Well, I, it's weird that the rest of it comes off very oh, well. Yeah. I mean, once they get into it, they're fine. It's almost like that little queenie kind of yeah, yeah. stuttering thing. But I don't know why they get it wrong because Keith doesn't really play it that wrong. It's just that something yeah. goes sideways. Uh, yeah, not a, not a, not the worst. It's only rock and roll, yeah. but maybe not.
0: I, I like seeing Lisa like get right up in their grills there while she's singing. Yeah, as well. again,
1: I like to see. And they there's footage on YouTube that's all synced to uh, the boot, like from my night, mm-hmm. but it's footage from all over the tour where Bernard and Lisa flank yeah. Mick. Uh, as they sometimes did on Sympathy for the Devil, mm-hmm. which is uh, great. You know, yeah. it's fun. It's very fun for me to say, like. There's nothing. There's I have nothing bad to say about Lisa Fisher and Bernard Fowler. I love them so much, yeah. and I would pay money to see them and Daryl and Chuck and Tim Reese and everybody else alone. I, like they don't. Those people yeah. do not get enough credit in the roles that they do.
0: There's some uh, good highlighting of Tim's uh, organ playing on Start Me Up. Uh, he he really like. And he doesn't always play on this, but you know, it used to be Matt Clifford would, I think into this day, now they have Matt Clifford playing the hand claps on keys and second keyboard. But like on this arrangement, you really hear that extra Hammond.
1: And this one is kind of funny because on on, uh, Babylon, they started doing the kind of tease intro.
0: Oh, yeah, with the two false starts with Charlie kind of hitting this. Well, but he didn't do the
1: drums. This is the first time I'd ever heard it with the, the drum shots answering. Right. Because um, if you look at St. Louis, it's just Keith. Mm-hmm. And the way he did it on my night, it was just just Keith. Yeah, it's fun. It's kind of like, I know I know what you want. Yeah. And we're going to make you work for it. <laughs> it's a tight start me up. Um, great solo from Woody. Yep. And it's, again, the hits are very fresh sounding and very energetic on this one
0: particularly i found uh, brown sugar worked really well like you know you've got wandy and bernard and lisa all kind of wandering all over the stage during the rave up like and then you know they hit the crowd with those streamers right on the final downbeat it's like they pull out all the stops for this and of course amazing horns you know. Yeah, can't can't forget giving some love to Bobby Keys.
1: Yeah, no, Bob, Bobby does a great solo there. His Always. intonation, his intonation, kind of went south mm-hmm. uh, around the bigger bang tour, but he's in fine form here tonight. Yeah, and then I'd also like to say how much I like the closing, "A Sympathy for the Devil."
0: Yeah, and in the encore slot, it works great
1: with the horns and everything mm-hmm. too.
0: And they sing all the words; they don't skip the who killed the kennedys verse like they would on pretty much every show after they skip that now yeah they go straight from verse two into the solo and then the chorus so they basically cut out an entire verse and almost you don't even miss it no
1: i i mean it's a long song obviously i like obviously live i like bringing in the whoop whoop they Mm -hmm. do it a little bit They, they they choke the they go whoop whoop this right. time instead of holding yeah, it, they're it,
0: doing a whole like call response thing. I assume the it's because yeah. of the
1: their love for the insane clown posse. Um,
0: <laughs> you would say something like that, wouldn't you? Yes. Um, yeah.
1: But what I also think is notable about this tour is not playing satisfaction, and mm-hmm. honestly, I don't miss it, and I don't care. It it lets a lot of the air out of, in Steve Martin said that it had gotten to the point with comedy where people did sort of tells for their punchlines. Right. And he saw uh I think it was Jack Benny or somebody and the sound cut out for the punchline but he did his signature move and people laughed anyway because they'd been kind of conditioned to sure. laugh when he did this. And to me, not worrying about where satisfaction is going to come it lets you just kind of enjoy the show much more organically. It's mm. like The comparison is that Steve Martin took the punchlines out of his jokes and people just laughed when they thought something was
0: funny. Right. Right. And so in this case, I think not having it at all, you may wonder afterwards, like, oh, that's strange. They didn't play Satisfaction. But in the moment, you're not worried about it. Yeah.
1: And and to me, it's also worth noting that they didn't play it for most of the 70s. Right. They only brought it back, like, aside from the Funke 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 version with uh, Stevie Wonder, mm-hmm. which is amazing. They didn't play it on 72. Mm-hmm. They didn't play it till
0: 81. I think there's um, one version at Nebworth, maybe, from 76. But yeah. apart from that, yeah.
1: But it's like, why? Like, everyone's asking you to do this all the time. Yeah.
0: It becomes
1: this kind of expectation thing, like... I I have no problem weaving it out, mm-hmm. and you know I've said this before, um, but I I actually think that they can t- they can fill a set with all manner of great stuff. Totally, yeah. Without doing satisfaction, I don't miss it. I don't. I I, I you don't have to voluntarily listen to satisfaction, right? right. Like you, it will come on somewhere out in the world as you're there. <laughs> you're watching Apocalypse Now, whatever. You know. Yeah. You don't have to choose to hear that song, and you're not going to miss anything by not hearing it.
0: Yeah. But uh, overall, in, in terms of value for money, I think this is a great show. Like, and a good purchase. Like, if you want to get one of these from the Vault shows, and you're on the fence, I would say start with this one to get your collection going. Because you're getting great value for money. You're getting excellent picture and sound quality. The stage design is really cool to look at. Like they've got those big towers with and the moving they, lights they on And they really
1: them. let the lighting do the work yeah. on this one. Yeah, and I not like, a lot of
0: special effects.
1: I definitely like the sparser. I mean, look, I mean, I have, I have gone on and on and on about how I think that uh, the Bridges to Babylon stage is Mark Fisher's mm-hmm. best work. In terms of having that opulence and the grandiosity and the big Pink Floyd screen and everything like that, um, absolutely, in a different way, I think that this one is really good because it lets the um, it lets the lighting and the the music people, the, yeah. the music
0: it's really focused on the, take the a, band uh,
1: and it 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 all depends on the size of your venue when mm. when when they started with um, stadium shows which hopefully will be remembered as an aberration no one should play music in a baseball stadium or a football stadium it's it's not an acoustic environment it's horrendous you can you can just get away with it in an arena much better smaller
0: smaller venue better show designed for obviously Music
1: would be ideal, right? You know, the chance to see them at uh, Massey Hall Mm -hmm. or something like that. Obviously, obviously there's reasons why they can't do that. It's too small. Uh, They wouldn't make it. They'd have to do five shows to make any money. Mm -hmm. But uh, what Mick was saying when they were designing that original 81 stage was it has to be interesting enough to look at for the people who can't be right up at the front and uh, you can see that progress mm-hmm. uh, reaching a sort of climax with with Bridges to Babylon. They've done two variations on the sort of uh, Mad Max dystopian future, but this is uh, definitely a much more interesting
0: it's and similar it's the... in a way that the other stages aren't. Like the, you could see the paint treatment on the floor is made to look like it's kind of like a rusty cage that they're not on. Yeah, yeah.
1: They, the, somebody said that. I remember the review in... The star, I think it was, said that the stage design was very reminiscent of a Black and Decker workbench. Right. You know, that it was, it had this kind of industrial feel to it. And what I, I like the big runaround thing, so he can go behind Charlie because there's people yeah. sitting behind the stage. Yeah, it's a
0: 360 degree view. So those lighting towers are basically on trusses that are custom made, so that you, they're see through. Like it's not blocking anybody's view. You can still see the band even though. You're behind a bunch of towers and it still gives that overhead coverage for the spotlighting and other moving light effects they want to do. It's very clever and ahead of its time.
1: Because um, I think that you're going to be seeing more shows. I remember seeing some footage from the on the run tour and just thinking like, this is a stadium tour. There's nothing here. Yeah. You know, I think you're going to see much more minimalist set design. And actually, I think the no filter set and we were going nuts about those monitors. I think that is something of a throwback to. Uh, this era yeah. and this design. And I think that there's no better band to do it than the stones. Mm. I mean, uh, I, again, I have realized that to in closing here, uh, as somebody who has fought most of his life against cranky old boomers, telling him that nothing was better than take your pick the sixties, the seventies,
0: whatever, whatever era, yeah.
1: you know, they define good music as, you know, when they were doing it like this and therefore nothing can ever be better. And I, you know, fought for uh, my space and to tell people uh, to open their minds. Uh, What I've realized with this is that I too am a uh, crusty old Rolling (laughs) Stones fan who has a preferred era and it just happens to be the 90s. And I'm going to say this so that we can all uh, move forward uh, in a spirit of goodwill (laughs) and peace uh, that it has everything to do with how old I was, that this was the first time I'd ever been to a show. The associations and the, you know, the engrams that are made along with
0: that have more to do with how you judge the music, right? So and I think looking at the crowd shots in this DVD as well, it's really apparent that this does mark a time and a place that is gone now. Yes,
1: definitely. The, uh, the, the hot moms that are dressed <laughs> like the cast of friends Yeah,
0: do not date in any way. Uh, <laughs>
1: no, but you can really tell in the, I like the AMD sponsorship yep. in San Jose. <laughs> um, you know, I have mixed feelings about this because I obviously do have a great deal of nostalgia for that period. I mean, I, I grew up in that, mm-hmm. but, um, I, I think that it's important that we not get carried away. I mean, when I hear somebody go on about how we used to care about the music back in the sixties and seventies, oh, you mean the music you couldn't hear? Cause there was no
0: PA and you yeah. were stoned at your mind and you, everything was in format radio anyway. So there was no integration of white and black audiences really.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's nonsense. And, uh, I, I, I you lo- can
0: pry my desktop publishing software from my cold <laughs> dead hands.
1: Yeah. And I mean, look, I like I like vinyl and I like digital and, you know, there's no there's no uh, absolutism here in terms of format or how you engage with music uh, or what's good. I don't have a cutoff. You know, there's a lot of people who say, well, music all went downhill after 77 or 81 or when Buddy Holly died or whatever it is for you. And I I think that that's a horrendous idea. And I, I think that nostalgia here is the enemy of you. Like, why why go into it? You know, consider the fact at least that you've gone into it with your guard up. Yeah. You know, like as though, as though uh, a band that had been active for this long wouldn't have to get corporate sponsorship. I mean, it's very expensive to make, uh, to go on these tours.
0: Yeah, nobody's going to bankroll it unless they're going to get a huge return on investment. So I think what this tour sort of actually signifies the end of is a relatively unbranded experience. Like we saw on the poster that there was like a Tommy Hilfiger as a presenter. That was actually quite
1: visible at the time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, uh, you know, if that's like the most that you get, then you're compared to nowadays where like everything has got an associated sponsor. And again, the
1: stones tend to do these things first and get most of the heat from it. And then it just becomes standard. Right. Uh, they were early to record digitally. They were early to, uh, Take branding or whatever, and the thing is, if you want to see these shows, I mean, do you really want to go see the Stones and everyone's out of tune and they're four hours late and you can't hear anything? You know, it's that the 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 idea of going to see, um, you know, I've you look at the LA Forum, right? If you compare this show to the LA Forum, which is not fair (laughs) (laughs) at all, I don't want to be at that show. Yeah, it it's not. That does not strike me as a. Pre- I don't have to go to the El Combo show, mm-hmm. right? But I don't think that they were able to project the scale of the show until about Steel Wheels. And I don't think Steel Wheels is necessarily perfect. Mm, yeah. But in terms of being able to actually hear what's going on, uh, these are the tours for me, uh, you know, from, from 99 to 89 that I'd say it's absolutely it's going to be my favorite and I've watched and I'm not, I'm not making a cutoff. I've watched four Flex a million times. I enjoyed those tours.
0: Yeah. And I like all the bigger bang shows that have and been I released. like bigger
1: bang. And I would love to see them do, uh, the show we were at in Jersey as a DVD sure, Yeah. and, and from
0: 2012. Yeah.
1: Everything else, you know. I'm happy. I'm not one of those guys who sits there with his arms crossed going, oh, well, I like this version better or whatever. I'm happy to take, this is the way that it went that night. Yeah. I understand that. Uh, I don't know if it's being a performer, but I'm very accepting when it comes to that stuff because it's the energy of the moment and I that's totally okay.
0: Now, if we want to briefly go into audiophile podcast territory again, Uh, we can talk a little bit about formats. So I mentioned the Blu-ray and CD. This is also coming out on standalone vinyl. This is the first time they're offering a From the Vault package on vinyl without a video. So you can pick and choose if for some reason you still don't have a Blu-ray player or you object to Blu-ray copy protection or whatever, you can buy the DVD standalone, save yourself a few bucks, and also pick up the vinyl without having any duplication in your collection. Um, What's interesting about this is it's uh, the first of the From the Vault releases to come out on streaming services simultaneously with the uh, physical release and in master quality audio as well. On uh, digital download services and on Tidal streaming. Well, so, on title, they don't. Yeah. Ha-
1: I don't think anyone else has MQA.
0: Yeah, but you could download the uh, high def stereo version of this if you want on Quobuz and and a few of those other services that offer high def. So you could forego physical copy altogether if you wanted to, or go on iTunes and get the video like as a download.
1: I'd definitely be interested in uh, hearing the vinyl. Yeah, I think up. once it
0: arrives, we'll we'll take a listen to that for sure. And, and we you know. are
1: still working through the box studio set. albums. Wow. I'm waiting yeah. on an original tattoo you because yeah, I think that it's only fair to compare to original pressings as much as possible.
0: Hello, it's Bob Ludwig. Yeah. Oh, Bob Ludwig's here. He's got the original tattoo. You for oh, you. If only it's, it's time, I guess to wrap up. I don't want end. him
1: to come see that. I haven't grounded my monitors to the bedrock beneath my house. <laughs> um, that's total inside uh, yeah. inside baseball but here fight.
0: endeth the audio file portion of the podcast. But yeah,
1: we're trying to get we're trying to get original pressings. If you're in Toronto and you have an original pressing yeah, let us of know. of uh, Sticky Fingers to Some Girls. Yeah. That would be great. We've uh, had, we've
0: had canadian pressings to compare against but we're interested in hearing american and uk ones obviously as well
1: yeah we i would obviously uh uh, original pressings of uh voodoo lounge british to babylon and a bigger like hen's teeth they're very expensive if they're they're out there and we'll uh, hear those too yeah we um though on balance i think that we're preferring the half-speed mastering Um, yeah
0: it's it's looking like with few exceptions this box set is delivering the goods so we'll we'll get into it later on uh next podcast but I should
1: say original pressings or 94s. Oh, the yeah. 94 those... was a great vintage.
0: That's Bob Ludwig here. Just uh, <laughs> checking in to say that I remastered those. Thank you, Bob. Yes. Um, so with that in mind, uh, get in touch with us if you want. Please do like us on the Facebook. Subscribe on your favorite podcast software. Uh, or you can send us an email, uh, as always. I don't think anybody's sent one yet, but you our be the inbox first. is waiting. <laughs> you could be the first. Uh, send to Rolling Stones podcast at gmail.com and uh if you like this tell a friend about it and with that said we'll sign off so uh for the podcast i've been tim lindsey and i continue to be christian bonner thanks so much for with me until the next time we say goodbye